If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. For most of my life and for a variety of reasons, I've had trouble asking for help. But like so many other antiquated habits in my life, 2020 helped me kick that. Hell, if I didn't learn how to ask for help, my daddy would have had to show up in downtown Oakland in his F-350, pulling a gooseneck trailer, hauling my ass and the studio back to Texas. I have an amazing network of humans in my life, and most of them are the same way. Always eager to help, but rarely willing to take a knee and ask for the assist. I think we've been trained to put more value on the helping than we do on being helped. These days, I'm striking a beautiful balance, if I do say so myself, between asking for what I want or need and paying my gifts forward to help other small business owners get over their own hurdles. Before we dive deeper, this podcast is covered by MJ Relief the Muscle Rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, we'll hear from my sound engineer, Arnav. Listen to his story of relief. As an audio engineer and musician who plays multiple instruments, my body does take quite a beating over the course of the day. If I have to go to different locations and set up gear, uh, which often requires lifting heavy equipment or getting into very cramped spaces, I'm teaching myself how to play the drums. I'm getting used to using the pedals and I've started noticing some, some ankle pain. And what's been a great solution is MJ Relief for two main reasons. One is it's fast acting, which means that I can apply it before and I can go through my work pain free and even apply it after. And that leads into my second point which is I love the way it smells. Uh, it doesn't smell medicinal like uh, other products and almost feels like a lotion that I can incorporate very seamlessly into my day. So if you need a quick fix and your body is being temperamental, MJ Relief is great for both those reasons. And hopefully you can incorporate it as part of your, whether you want to consider a daily medication or just daily well-being. If you're feeling Arnav's pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, 
Head over to MJSkinRelief.com and order a tube for you and another one for someone who marches to the beat of your drum. That's MJSkinRelief.com. And if you're already a fan of MJ Relief, please send me a video or voice memo and let me share your story of relief on the podcast. And if I know you, I might be bugging you very, very soon. And tag at MJ Skin Relief if you're a social butterfly and you want to show us some love. The Sustainability Roll-Up is presented by OCB Rolling Papers. In perfect harmony with natural, sustainable practices, it's always been the OCB signature to provide the highest quality, responsibly sourced, and sustainably crafted rolling papers. I celebrated 420, but was too late for the 421 party. It's new in town, and I didn't get the memo. Canna for Climate is a new holiday, utilizing the day between the cannabis appreciation holiday we all know and love and Earth Day on 422. The goal is to mobilize the cannabis community against pollution and encourage environmental sustainability in the burgeoning cannabis industry. The new holiday was founded by WeedTube, the video sharing platform for cannabis enthusiasts who were deleted from traditional platforms. Communities in Arizona, California, Massachusetts, Colorado, Montana, Michigan, and my home state of Texas reported taking to the great outdoors to clean up local areas. Quote, we have the power to create real, meaningful change on a global scale by coming together and using our platform and voices as a source for good, said Aaron Richard, co-founder of WeedTube. Since the cannabis plant has brought us together, it's our mission to not only create a more climate-conscious community, but change the narrative of what a cannabis consumer or stoner is. As the community matures, we must destigmatize old stereotypes and show the world that cannabis enthusiasts are proactive, conscious, and contributing members of society. End quote. The way I see it, there's no need to wait until next year to put this idea to work in your own community. You cannabis Sherpas out there, you know every day is Earth Day. And this is a great opportunity to give back and pay it forward. Get creative on ways you can support your local community while loving up on Mother Earth. Now, OCB knows a thing or two about that. Unlike most other brands that buy their paper from a third party, all OCB papers are plant to puff. And OCB supports their local communities by making their own paper from their mill in Evian to the factories they own in Perpignan, France, with all fibers and packaging material sustainably farmed from within a 500-kilometer radius. Organic hemp by OCB is very slow-burning paper made from French-grown organic hemp farmed in Champagne, France. And it's one of the strongest, most sustainable papers on earth. It's responsibly harvested, chlorine-free, dye-free, bleach-free, GMO-free, and vegan. 
I feel like that little blonde-haired girl that's standing up on the counter looking in the mirror. I love my friends. I love my family. I love my hair. And you're going to love OCB even more because they make no-tear, even-burning rolling papers with natural, always-sticks acacia gum grown in African fields that OCB has been reforesting for decades. If you want to feel good French-kissing Mother Earth, OCB is the way to go. Of course, you must be 21 and older to buy OCB rolling papers and to follow at OCB underscore USA on social. Now, for all of you grown-up joint rolling novices, I invite you to learn the craft alongside me. The Roll With Me video series is lighting up on Thursday, April 29th at 4.20 p.m. Pacific Time on the Casually Baked YouTube channel. So go ahead and get your school supplies ready by visiting ocbusa.com backslash baked to get four booklets of OCB and a rolling tray for only $4.99. This bundle is worth 20 bucks and is around for a limited time. But the rolling skills and street cred we'll learn together, my friend, makes this bundle priceless. As for you OGs rolling your eyes at me, I challenge you to sample the entire line of OCB products and let me know your favorite. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers. You'll find links to the OCB special offer as well as an interest form for joining me on an episode of Roll With Me in the podcast 183 show notes at casuallybaked.com. Today's guest on the podcast is the CEO of Eco Cannabis, a vertically integrated seed-to-sale cannabis business based in Oakland, California. Kevin Ahasey is a former commercial real estate expert, a Bay Area native, and a lifelong cannabis enthusiast dedicated to his community. And I've got something to say about this community. Out of all of the places I've lived in Texas, California, New York, and Italy, Oakland, the city of Oakland, is by far the most community-centric city I've called home. It is a true melting pot where the uniqueness of each represented culture is celebrated. Oakland was the first city in the nation to roll out a cannabis social equity program back in 2018. Kevin's company, Eco Cannabis, participated in that program and continues to hire 100% Oakland residents, 50% of which have been formerly incarcerated. On today's podcast, we discuss the backbone of a socially conscious business model and what it means to be a mentor. We explore the cannabis dispensary design and shopping experience and the perks of living your truth out of the cannabis closet. If you're a small business owner or entrepreneur wearing a lot of hats right now, this podcast is for you. It's also for anyone curious for an insider's perspective on the ins and outs of starting a cannabis business. From cannabis banking, taxes, and insurance, to creating a community-centric business and growing a massive footprint of cannabis, Kevin shares what he's learned with us. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar gun. I got the West Coast smoke, 
Kevin Ahasey, thank you so much for being willing to actually join me in the Casually Baked studio today. So proud to see a human sitting across from me during an interview. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to be here. Your place is right down the street from our dispensary. And uh, so it's super convenient and it's a great old Victorian building. It's beautiful. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Now, Kevin, you're the CEO of ECO Cannabis. And I will say that when I first walked down the street and saw it, I thought, oh, Eco Cannabis, it's a eco-friendly cannabis company. But that's not what ECO stands for. Tell me what ECO stands for. So it stands for Education, Community, and Opportunity. Um, and the reason why we chose that acronym is that we got all of these licenses and, and became involved in the cannabis space by participating in Oakland's social equity program. And so uh, <clears throat> that was really the driver of uh, our inception and, and what we were looking to do. And so through that, we understood that education was going to be a really important component, especially to those that were not familiar with cannabis. Um, we as, as users and, you know, and advocates understand how great of a plan it is and, and all the things that it can do. There's so many people that don't, and there's so much misinformation that we have to, um, you know, unlearn and, and, and teach people, uh, new things. And, you know, that goes back to the, the war on drugs with Nancy Reagan and, um, and so education is a really big component of what we do. And that starts with um, educating our, our own staff and the bud tenders so that, that they can disseminate that information to the customers and make sure that <clears throat> we're addressing the ailments that they're looking to solve. So that was one thing that we, we thought was very necessary coming into the Oakland market. Uh, the second piece was the community piece um, because we knew that Oakland is extremely community oriented. They don't like any outside businesses coming in and profiting off Oakland if they are not supporting Oakland. And uh, I'm local from the Bay Area. I've grown up here my entire life, went to Berkeley uh, for college, and uh, the dispensary is a couple miles away from from uh, UC Berkeley. And so I'm very familiar with the area, but you know, there's some other, uh, other folks that aren't. Um, so what we've tried to do is uh, just get with all of uh, the local industries, whether it be the Kono district where, where we uh, operate our, our dispensary or other organizations within Oakland to find the right employees. And by the right employees, I'll, I'll get into that kind of second piece of, of uh, the community piece is that we provide second chances. This was a big piece for me. Um, I feel everybody makes mistakes in their life and uh, everybody needs second chances. And this cannabis piece in, in general, this, this cannabis opportunity um, gave me an opportunity to look at that and to do something about it. And what, what I found was that there's so many people that had been formerly incarcerated by the war on drugs and, and the numbers are staggering, especially with um, black and brown uh, communities. And so... We had decided that we're going to hire 50% of our staff uh, with, with former incarcerations. And that hasn't been easy by any means. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes some time. But when you get the people in the door that uh, haven't been able to get a job at any restaurant or, you know, any other bar or really, you know, most of the jobs they're blocked out of um, with a former incarceration, you have to check that box. And that puts you in a different category. And um and it's a shame because we've had really great 
experiences with the formerly incarcerated people that we've hired. And that goes back to the community. I think the, the community appreciates that. And so we have a lot of support from, uh, from our local community and our neighborhood as far as the consumers that we're getting from those. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lambkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com. There he is. And then uh, going into opportunity um, with that, giving those formerly incarcerated an opportunity to come in, have a job, and then move up. Uh, the ladder within eco, um, you know, we, we try to hire from within as much as possible. And so um, it was a fitting acronym. Um, it's something that uh, we base our business off of and we, we try and live by every day. Yeah. And it feels so good. And so that's why I wanted to have you here to talk and kind of help other people that are, you know, trying to figure out exactly how they want their cannabis business to operate, or if they're, you know, looking to enter into the cannabis space, what kind of a company they want to work for. Mm -hmm. And so just highlighting your company, what y'all are doing, to me, that's important because people need to see that it's already being done. It can successfully be done. And so I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that socially conscious business model. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you were putting it together, if there were some, you know, highlights that, you know, perhaps being a part of the very first social equity program in the nation with Oakland, if there was maybe some learnings that you might be able to teach us. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of uh, trial and error. And, um, you know, that goes for the city of Oakland as well. Um, I think that, you know, initially um, when Desley Brooks came out um, with this program and introduced it to, to the city of Oakland, uh, it had great merit. She understood what was going to be happening. There was going to be a, a green rush. Um, there was going to be a, a, a great opportunity for, for people to gain wealth, in some cases, generational wealth. And she understood that black and brown people had been disenfranchised by the war on drugs. And so she said, hey, look, you know, if we're going to do this, let's let's give those who have been mistreated a, a leg up and an opportunity to profit from from what we know is coming. And so um, the concept was great. I think um, it, it's 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 one of those things where it's it's easier said than done. And so um, I think everybody's heart is in the right place. Everybody wants to make this work, but um, it happened very quickly. And I don't think that, uh, that there was enough people maybe involved in the policy making process to, um, to avoid, uh, you know, some issues that, that, that we've had. And specifically when I say that, um, 
what I mean is that uh, social equity businesses are being given free rent for three years in in in, uh, in Oakland, and during that time, um, they don't have to pay anything to the landlord. The landlord doesn't owe own any of their business, and they can be eligible for loans from the city of Oakland. Um, and those loans are coming from the state of California. And one of the problems that I had was that I still mentor two of the social equity businesses that um, that I had incubated. We we incubated eight social equity businesses as part of our licensing process, and I'll get into that. But two of the businesses, uh, they've never run a business before, and um, they're looking to start a, a distribution and a delivery company, and they've received 100000 plus worth of loans from the city of Oakland. And so I started asking them about these loans, um, and they didn't know too much about the loans that they got. And so I um, started asking them if they had personally guaranteed these loans. These are interest-free for your loans. And they said, gosh, I don't know. So I said, geez, okay. Uh, so I started calling the city and talking to the city and talking to the company that runs the, the loan program for the city. It turns out that they did personally guarantee these loans and that uh, the way the program works is if they'll give you $100,000 and if you show them receipts of 70% of that spent, they'll give you another $100,000. So what's going through my head at that time is, gosh, how many businesses out there that have never operated and they're small businesses and uh, forget equity and forget cannabis and forget all that, just normal small businesses you know, how many go out of business in the first three years, five years, seven years, right? We know seven years is, is 90% of small businesses go out of business. And so I'm looking at these loans that are being given and in concept, great. You know, these they're getting money to start, start their business. <clears throat> in reality, a lot of these businesses, just from a percentage standpoint, are, are going to fail. And they're going to be strapped with this debt that they personally guaranteed. Yeah. But nobody's talking about that. And so those are the things that 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 concern me. Now, I'm not against it. And it's going to work for the companies that I mentor. But I'm mentoring these guys. And I've, I have done it before. How many companies are in that same situation that don't have a mentor, that have taken that money, that have maybe already spent it, maybe not in the correct way? You know, what's going to happen there? Now, even if they spent it in an incorrect way, they're still eligible for another hundred thousand dollars, which is probably what they're going to do. Yeah, and so so and the, do you borrow that hundred to pay off the other hundred? Exactly, I mean, like. exactly, because it's not revenue in; it's receipts out that get you that other hundred. And so, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but those are just some of the concerns that I had, um, and part of the reason why I decided to mentor these two companies to make sure that you know. I guess, increase their, their chances of success, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about, you know, the Cannabis Banking Act and all of that <clears throat> stuff that's happening right now. And as you're saying that, I just think about now there's going to be more opportunity for all of these small businesses who might not understand what they're getting themselves into in the cannabis space to get yep. blindsided with a lot of debt. I mean, that happened to me during the COVID thing. I just you know, laid out like 30 grand to get manufacturing started on a product. And then the manufacturer shut down yeah. and you're like, okay. So, you know, it's a minefield. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I love the concept of giving people a leg up that have been effect negatively affected by the war on drugs. I get that. But if you're not going to provide a one-to-one -one mentor to these companies and you're going to strap them with debt that 
in, in some cases they're, they're not quite sure that they even are getting into, um, you know, that's a problem. And so my suggestion to the city of Oakland, and I voiced this to them is, and really all cities across the United States, if they're going to implement a social equity program is make it mandatory that they have a mentor because business, starting a business, a small business alone is hard. Starting a small business in the cannabis space, that's extremely difficult. The cannabis space is, you know, it, it's just so much more difficult. It's so much more expensive. The regulations that are put in place at a state level, right? Um, and that's another point. The state does not waive fees for social equity businesses, but the city does. So yet the state gives the cities the this money to then distribute out to the social equity businesses. It's ridiculous. You better have a good bookkeeper. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of them don't, you know, because they haven't run a business before. They don't realize that maybe HR and finance are the first two hires that they should make. Right. And yeah. so, um, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it, but all we can do is, you know, try and give back, try and, you know, educate as much as we can and, uh, you know, and, and voice our opinion. One thing I'm going to throw in here is that there are free mentoring opportunities, too, through organizations like SCORE. If you go to SCORE.org, you can find all kinds of things like, you know, writing your business plan, how to keep your books, like mm -hmm. all of those little things. If you just need continuing education as a small business owner, I am a mentor with SCORE. And I get so much joy out of helping small business owners like, you mm -hmm. know, on Wednesday mornings, all morning, it's dedicated to my mentoring sessions. And I am walking on sunshine all day after that. Absolutely. So even, you know, if you do know business and you are a cannabis lover, you're in the cannabis industry, knock on your city's doors and be willing to be a mentor for some of these businesses. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I feel the same way. Um, and you know, what's funny is that, that the advice that I give is, you know, is almost common sense to me because I've been doing it for so long, but it's really valuable to these guys that, that they haven't been in business for that long. And so it's amazing that you maybe even if you don't think that, that, you know, you're, you're all that experienced, um, you know, just, you know, any type of experience, whether it be you've gone through a permitting process before, or you've incorporated a business before, or, you know, QuickBooks online, you know, any of these things are, are just really, really important when you're starting a business. And, um, and that's the education that I think is lacking. Absolutely. And it's funny, because as you say that, I'm like, yeah, anything, any other normal business needs, cannabis needs it too, but then you, you know, add a bunch of red tape and yep. crank it up to an 11. Yeah. Fees and regulations. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the other growing pains? I will say that one that I was aware of, I had Anthony Jenkins with Next Level Edibles on and the mentor that he got um, him and his brother for their business. They didn't have a kitchen. They didn't have a commercial kitchen. Mm -hmm. So he got free rent for three years in a building mm -hmm. that didn't do anything that he needed it to do. Yep. And so, the, you know, that's one of the things that um, that's a great point in, in what I referenced earlier, where the program was rolled out so quickly that some of the things weren't thought through. And it, it's it's no slight to the city of Oakland. I think their goal was to roll this out so that black and brown people could get that advantage or that first mover advantage. Right. Um, but 
unfortunately, you know, it, it, there, there should have probably been some think tanks going on with with how this stuff was developed. Um, and uh, instead, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, what would have been great in Anthony's situation is they have, you know, maybe the city of Oakland took some of the funds from the state of California, developed a shared commercial kitchen that you know these companies could share i believe they're doing yes, something like this now they are that he was telling me that day that that was something that was in the works but you know the the first licenses were issued in 2018 this is 2021 so what have the edible companies had to do between then and now um and so it's great to see that the city is is righting these these wrongs um i think that um if it's one thing i've noticed it's change is slow it's it's very slow and uh the interdepartmentally um the city's trying to work as best they can with each other but um the cannabis is new um to the building department to the fire department um you know to the finance department to the special activities department and um they're not used to speaking with each other communicating with each other the way that they now have to because cannabis is linking them all together in an entirely different way I mean, isn't that interesting? Because the plant links us all together and now it's linking all of these different branches of our community. In some cases, whether they like it or not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I freaking love that. So things are going well with eco cannabis because I heard that y'all are opening a second location. Yeah. So we're in the process of, uh, of completing that deal and it'll be located in Northern California. I can't say too much more about it at this point, uh, which is super exciting. Um, uh, fairly close to our existing dispensary. And, um, what really excites me is the cultivation piece that we finally got right. Um, <clears throat> we've been growing, uh, since, uh, after we opened the dispensary, opened the dispensary on Telegraph Avenue in, uh, January of 2019. And after that, I hopped over to our campus. Uh, we have a large campus, five acres with 90,000 square feet of industrial warehouse, where we do our cultivation, manufacturing and distribution operations. And, um, I, I think that, uh, flour uh, is is really the backbone of this industry. It's it's obviously the source material for all things cannabis. Um, and and but I think it's more than that. I think that high quality indoor craft cannabis is is where it's at. I think it's the 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 best feeling. Uh, you, you can talk about entourage effect and, and anything else, but. Um, the different bouquets that you have, all of the different effects, the different strains, it makes it so much different than, than anything in the, else out there. You know, wine, you've got a few different varieties, but nothing compared to the hundreds of varieties, thousands of varieties that you have of cannabis. Um, and so, um, because of that, uh, I was fixated on developing this cultivation operation that would be able to produce this amazing, uh, this plant and, uh, Gosh, I was pretty naive going in. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'd always been uh, a smoker and, you know, uh, felt like I was fairly educated um, and uh, I didn't know how to grow. And so I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'll find somebody that can grow and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get this thing going and, and uh, you know, it shouldn't be all that hard, right? You just some HVAC, some lights, a couple of dehumidifiers, <laughs> humidifier, you know, throw the plants in there, you're good. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I didn't think it was going to be that easy, but, uh, but I never realized how difficult it was going to be until, um, we got into it. And, um, and the difficulty is that, uh, even the so-called experts that I was hiring to help me 
had never grown on the scale. Um, it's very hard to find somebody that had grown at scale because of the illegality of the plant. And so um, the difference between growing in 500, 1,000 square feet um, and then uh, as opposed to maybe nine, 1,500, 2,000 square foot uh, rooms all at once is, is night and day. Um, the nutrient delivery systems, the environmental conditions, um, the list goes on and on. And so uh, we really, you know, have had a, a rough time getting through it. Um, we've gone through quite a few different growers bunch of different grow mediums, bunch of different nutrients. Um, and finally, uh, about six months ago, I found the right team, brought them in. Um, <clears throat> they're doing an amazing job. And, uh, but it's taken us this entire time, um, to get it right. And the new team has the luxury of coming into an environment where all my environmentals were already dialed in. Um, nice. you know, the, the place was already built out. I already did the power upgrade, but, um, you know, so how many grow cycles between starting and finally getting it where you're like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, I would probably say five, about five. So, you know, say five, three month cycles, you know, and, uh, and it can be a little bit expensive, but, I think that you would be naive to think that you're going to get into this industry and that you're you're just going to you know get a building, build it out, and you're going to start going. And uh, that first harvest is going to hit, and you're going to you know be you know, consistent from then on. Uh, it just doesn't happen like that. Uh, you you got to take your lumps, and uh, that's what makes you better. And we, I've I've taken a few lumps for sure, <laughs> but it's made me stronger. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a resilient person, and I really want to be in this industry. I really love what it does. Um, I, I know what it does, right? I, there's so many people that don't. And so, you know, I'm passionate about converting them over and, and helping them understand that, you know, for me um, personally, you know, cannabis is such a great alternative to alcohol. I quit drinking about five years ago and uh, it was one of the best decisions I had made um, <clears throat> just with my family life and other relationships. Uh, and uh, cannabis is, uh, been such a positive in that time that um, I wish more people would would consider it. You, you always hear the person, oh yeah, gosh, I got I got to try that. I gotta, that's that's a good idea. I got to get to that, you know. But uh, I think it needs to be taken more seriously, and 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 I think it will be when cannabis becomes more socially acceptable. Well, and I do think that the the drinkables scene that is clearly on the rise. I mean, it's the highest growing category in cannabis, yep. but that's because it gives somebody a their brain doesn't have to divert from what it always does in totally. the evening. It yep. gives them that same thing. It's that same effect without somebody having to feel like they're breaking some sort of a habit. Right. Yeah. And th there's no doubt. And I regularly drink those, whether it's a can or a, a, a Paps Blue Ribbon uh, lemonade seltzer at parties. And I have people always coming up to me all the time and saying, oh, gosh, yeah, I, I, I got to stop drinking. I got to I got to start, you know, using a little bit more cannabis or offsetting. And I, I think especially coming out of the pandemic, you know, um, there's nothing worse than drinking and, and you know, being confined to your house and maybe not working out as much as you're used to. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah. and it's easier to live that kind of a lifestyle when you live in a legal market and you have variety. No doubt. And you can, you know, dial in what exactly works for you. Yep. And, you know, I don't drink very much anymore myself. And when I do, you know, it, I'll have like a half a glass of wine and wake up the next morning and I feel like I've had a bottle yep. of wine. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the longer you get away from it, the more sensitive you are to it, which just reminds you like, oh yeah, you're not my friend. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a big, uh, big deal to, to me. And so, um, yeah, getting back to, to the warehouse, it's, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it was hard. We figured it out. Um, we're now, uh, starting this June, we'll have uh, a harvest every nine days, um, that produces about 150 pounds, um, which really, um, escalates things fast, right? We've spent a lot of money. We spent millions of dollars over the last couple of years, getting this right, tweaking it, doing our kind of R and D, getting the right team in. Um, and all of a sudden now we're going to start hitting on a consistent basis. And, uh, and so it's super exciting. Um, it's, it's been a lot of hard work. Um, our head's still going to be down. We still have a lot of things we need to do. We have, like, like we mentioned earlier, the other dispensary, um, that's coming soon that we're going to have to get going. And, you know, hopefully we can open more dispensaries up and down the coast in California. I don't, I don't want to leave California anytime soon because it's such a big state and such a big economy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, interstate commerce obviously isn't, isn't possible. Um, so I don't have any interest in setting up operations in each state that we operate out of. So the, the flower that y'all are growing, you are, are you also creating <clears throat> concentrates and the vape pens or are you just bottling flour and selling it in the store? So right now we are uh, bottling the flour. Uh, we are also grinding up and uh, doing pre-rolls. We're doing, um, sweet blunts we're doing um squishy palm rolls we're doing uh gosh what else uh infused uh joints um we will have our manufacturing we have a type 7 lab that's built out um and we have that team starting up um uh it'll be in two months uh they start and what we're trying to do is correlate the biomass that we'll be getting off of the uh consistent harvest with the hiring of our manufacturing team in the past uh, we, we built out our type 7 lab and we leased it out to um, concentrate companies in, in northern california that do vape pens okay so you participate in participated in the equity program so you basically nurtured these companies for three years. Were, was it in that space that you're in now? Yeah, I don't want to oversell it. I wouldn't say we nurtured them. Um, be, it, we, we gave them free rent. We didn't have much involvement with them. And, and, and that's why I want to make the clear delineation. Had, so yours, you just had the two companies that you kind of held their hand. Correct. And okay. I just did that on my own. That wasn't anything to do with licenses or the city of Oakland or anything. It was just the right thing to do. I saw that they were struggling a little bit. They were really great guys, uh, very appreciative of the opportunity for free rent and, and, and things like that. And so, um, of the original eight, um, tenants that we had at our, our campus, uh, the three years have, have come and gone. So six of them have, have since moved on. These two, I renewed their leases, kept them in place and continue to mentor them. Okay. All right. Cause I was curious what happens at the end of it. Yeah. So, well, they try and go and, uh, get rent at another facility. And then the city of Oakland incentivized the landlord to do a deal with the equity tenant by either discounting, um, taxes or providing a license. Okay. Got yeah. it. So now let's talk a little bit because you are extremely passionate about cannabis and you have a heart mm -hmm. of gold. So how did your relationship with cannabis get started? Uh, I don't know. In high school at a fair. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, and I, I <laughs> out of a weird looking pipe, uh, probably really bad weed. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, my experience kind of that most people feel their first time when I was pretty out of it and, you know, uh, wasn't really sure what was going on. And, um, and so, um, I didn't use 
use it too much. That was, I think, gosh, I want to say 15 years old. A couple of years later, you know, tried it a little bit more, had, had a uh, um, better product. Um, and I think what attracted it to me initially in high school was the people that used it, to be honest. Um, they were just seemed to be a little bit more my style of people. Um, and, uh, and I'm a bit more of an introvert. So, um, maybe that was the, the personality connection that I was looking for. And so anyway, that's when, uh, my relationship started with cannabis and, um, I was also, uh, you know, pretty big into sports. I was, uh, I played on the junior national team, um, for water polo, uh, in, in high school and then got a scholarship, uh, and ended up playing, uh, uh, competitive, uh, division one, uh, water polo at, at UC Berkeley. And through that time, you know, continued to use cannabis. Uh, my, all my friends and teammates used cannabis. Um, we would use it when we could, uh, on the off season when we weren't getting tested. Um, it was a pretty communal thing actually after practice, you know, a pretty good number of us would go to somebody's apartment and, you know, have a kind of circular bong session or whatever. And, uh, and, um, you know, really try to repair our bodies. We were going through six plus hours of working out a day and, um, and you had two options, well, three options, really. You had Advil, you had beer, and you had uh, and you had cannabis uh, at the time. And so, um, you know, the, the trainers were hang, handing out Advil like it was candy. Um, I didn't like taking that. And uh, but you know, getting home and um, taking a bong hit or smoking a joint really relaxed me and made me feel good. Um, we couldn't do that um, during season because we got tested. And so, <clears throat> eventually uh, graduated and moved on into the working world and, you know, kind of kept my cannabis habits up, uh, but, um, kept them kind of to myself as probably most, uh, frequent users did, uh, a few years ago or so, um, that were working in professional environments because, um, you know, uh, there's a stigma against it. And if your boss found out that you were smoking weed, well, you're a pothead. And if you're a pothead, then you're lazy. And if you're lazy and you're undependable, then, you know, you really shouldn't have the job and you definitely shouldn't get the promotion. So, um, you know, I kept it really tight, uh, you know, hit it away. Um, uh, eventually I got into commercial real estate, kind of felt the same way, you know, those were big drinking environments. Um, as well as other illicit drugs, uh, and cannabis wasn't really all that accepted, yes, exactly. um, you know? And so, uh, um, so I think secretly that, that was kind of burning, you know, in the background on, you know, maybe not being my true self, um, and not really wanting to live my life like that. And that so was exactly why I quit my old life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great. I'll tell you, it's, uh, I, I, I love being open about cannabis. I love that the time that we live in, I'm really lucky to be in the time that we live in that, um, this is actually happening. I'm sure there's people that felt just as great as I did about cannabis 20, 30 years ago, but they didn't have the opportunity to do all the things we're doing. Um, and so I'm just really, really appreciative of it. And, uh, and I also am an appreciate appreciative of the position that I'm in the, the, uh, that, you know, I, I'm managing so many people and, and guiding so many people in their journey on cannabis and, um, and, uh, and I get to have, you know, a really little stamp on kind of what goes on in this, uh, legalization process. And I like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah it feels good, you know, having that be a part of your legacy Yeah, that you got to help, you know, create 
what the cannabis culture, the legal cannabis culture is in a city. Yeah. And that's what you'll find if you go to our dispensary on Telegraph is, is that um, we tried to create an environment that was like a normal shopping experience. So you will see that, you know, we're, we are a higher end shop. There's a lot of glass cabinetry. Um, everything's extremely nice. You're not going to see bulletproof glass. You're not going to see bars. You're not, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to see people smoking in there. We don't have a smoking lounge, but you know, it's just an extremely clean environment, a very well-educated staff that are 50% formerly incarcerated, but you wouldn't know it. Um, and, um, yeah, cause they're humans. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> and they make mistakes. Uh, and some of them are really small mistakes that, uh, are extremely over penalized. That's the truth. Yeah. But, um, but, but the, the goal is to normalize it and to make you feel like you're, you're going into a high end shopping experience and that, um, that you can ask all kinds of questions. Um, one of the, the things that I thought was really important when I was designing the, the dispensary that was different is, you know, being a consumer, I would go to other dispensaries, um, in Oakland and it was always a pain in the ass that, I would go in and, you know, you show your ID and the bulletproof glass and then you get the number and then you go sit and it, you can't be on your phone, right? They don't want you on your phone when you're sitting and you're, you're reading through the latest high times or whatever they got there. And then finally, you, you it's your turn. You get up to the counter and um, <laughs> probably like most people that use cannabis, I have a little anxiety. So, you know, there's <laughs> about 20 people behind me that are pissed off trying to get, you know, their product. But I have questions, right? I want to. I, I want to see the product, right? I want to. Yeah. I want to smell the flower, and so and I also get um, choice paralysis. <laughs> that too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's and 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 I remember walking up and you know you, you you look at these menus and there's 40 items on the menu and at that time that was before I was really inundated in the cannabis industry. I didn't know what three quarters of those things were. Probably 90 percent, to be honest. Um, and so I what. I thought about that and I was very deliberate when I opened the dispensary. We don't have any menus on the wall um, that, you know, people don't know the names of, of half of the stuff. Um, we, uh, we don't give out numbers when people come in. Um, you, you check your ID and then you're, ex you're, you're greeted by an experience guide. And this experience guide has uh, a tablet around their neck and they just take you on a tour of the floor and you talk to them and you say, you know, talk about what you're looking for and why and they'll bring you to that specific section, find the right product for you. And they tap it into their pad around their neck. That order goes to the back of the, of the dispensary. It gets packaged just like McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever. And then when your order's ready, they call your name and you go up to the dispensary, you pay for it and you're off, you know, and that way you get that one-on-one -on -one interaction with the, with the, the bud tender and, uh, and you get that education that you need. Now, if you know what you want, we have self-service kiosk. You can go in, get what you want, you're gone. But what it did is it eliminated the, the bottleneck at the register and, and that kind of anxiety that some people feel uh, in, that, in that model. And when you have a space that's open and, and inviting like yours is, you don't mind being there a little bit longer. Well, what we found is it's actually, it's faster. Now you can be there longer if you want. And you, if you want to spend a ton of time with the, the bud tenders asking all kinds of questions, that's great. But the average time somebody's in our shop is less than five minutes. They're not me. <laughs> like, well, we welcome you stay longer. Yeah. That's well, fine. I mean, I like to get high and then go in <clears throat> and just loiter. Sure. I want to read everything. I want to 
look at the packaging. I want to see what people are doing, but that's because I'm a pot nerd and I want to see what the latest and greatest is. Uh, not at all. That's why dispensaries exist. Yeah. Otherwise, everybody would do delivery, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's why I, I'm the same way. If I'm granted, I kind of know what I want, but I'm a pot nerd and I want to go in there. I want to see the new products. I want to see the new strains, anything that's new, right? Some stuff, it's not for me. Other stuff, maybe like a beverage, I want to check out. You know, if there's a new edible, I want to check it out. And flour in particular, I want to really dig in and check out what's going on there. And that's why we have bud pods that have magnifying glasses and smell uh, whatever holes that, you know, yeah, they, so you can smell it, you can look at it and you know what you're getting. Um, which is so important because the plant has so much to offer and there's so much variety. Yeah. And, mm. you know, everybody loves the whole, the nose nose, but really, you know, if whenever I go through, I mean, that's exactly how I'd choose my pot. I don't like which one smells the best. Absolutely. And then just. It tells you a lot. People have been doing it for years, <laughs> yeah. right? Right really before testing was around. That's, you know, that's how we bought stuff. And so, and I think from a growing perspective, I get it, you know, you, you it, it's, you get you, you can see the quality you can smell the quality and once you buy it you can taste the quality and in, if it doesn't have quality you're not going to get the look you're not going to get the smell yeah. so and that's what's so cool about it absolutely well thank you so much for hanging out with me is there anything that i didn't ask you that you think's important to round out our combo no, I would just say, you know, come check us out. We're located at 2435 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland. Would love to have you and, you know, kind of show uh, your listeners uh, what Eco is all about. Oh, yeah. And if you are a local and you go in and you mention hearing this exact podcast, they'll give you 20% off your order. Awesome. Yeah. So we welcome all new people. You'll also get uh, one of our uh, infused pre-rolls uh, as a new customer and uh, you'll have an opportunity to meet our staff and uh, and hopefully uh, leave us a positive review. Yes. You yeah. know, reviews are so important right now, people. If you love a company, if you love a brand, leave online reviews because that's how the algorithms are working now. They want to see reviews. So support the podcasters, the businesses that you love by rating and reviewing them. So hint, hint. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for hanging out with me. It's been fun. Thanks for having me, Joe. After wrapping the recorded interview, Kevin and I continued to chat about our experiences in the California cannabis industry and the hurdles of growing a successful business. We've both worn a lot of the hats in our businesses, which is important for building a solid foundation and developing the right team. Kevin explained to me that he was the general contractor for the build-out of both the Eco Cannabis Campus and Dispensary, and he took on the role of head grower for eight months and developed an intimate understanding of the operation and who and what was needed to make it successful. Of course, Try not to wear all of the hats at once if you don't have to, but definitely wear all of the hats. Another insight I think you'll appreciate is that of cannabis insurance and banking. Licensed cannabis businesses are forced to have insurance, even though the system isn't actually designed to help them. For example, during the riots in 2020, Eco Cannabis, among many other local dispensaries, were looted. With over $300,000 in damages, ECO received a $24,000 settlement, which wasn't paid out for six months. 
The city of Oakland did delay the licensing fees for these businesses, but offered zero tax relief. And as a vertically integrated cannabis business, Eco has five separate bank accounts, one for each division of their business. Their annual banking fees, just to have accounts, is $30,000 per year. <laughs> and I thought a $1,200 per year fee was steep for my hemp business banking account. Yikes. As for taxes, this is the most recent example of an Oakland cannabis company fighting for their rights that I can share with you. The Ninth Circuit recently issued an opinion in the marijuana tax case, Patients Mutual Assistance Collective Corporation versus Commissioner number 19-73078, known as the Harborside case. Jennifer Brenda, a former certified public accountant who specializes in marijuana and taxes as a partner at the national law firm Hall Estill in its Denver office, commented, The opinion affirms the tax court's denial of inventory cost deductions for certain costs that the taxpayer argued should be included in inventory costs. The panel declined to address the constitutional arguments raised by Harborside because the exact same arguments had not been raised in the tax court. The Ninth Circuit's ruling does not break any new ground. The marijuana industry continues to battle with the IRS to overcome the harsh impact of internal revenue code provisions that drastically limit their deductions. The case addresses the narrow rules that apply to marijuana companies that are retailers but not producers. As a result of these narrow provisions, the marijuana industry faces a very heavy tax burden, which severely impacts profitability. Marijuana companies that are producers continue to await guidance from the courts and the IRS on the scope of inventory cost deductions available to them, Brenda says. It's so important to recognize that nobody is rushing to do favors for the cannabis industry, y'all. Right now, if you're not eye of the tiger, relentless, being about it, jumping the hurdles, clawing, scratching, just to get to the starting line to begin the race for equal business rights. That's what we're doing here, folks. I am tired, but my heart is full. So you better let that sink in and do a gut check before you dive into the cannabis industry. It will be the ride of a lifetime if you're in it for the right reasons. If you're not, you're going to stand out like a turd in a punch bowl. I promise. One more thing I want to hammer home. It's that asking for help doesn't make you weak. It shows that you're smart and resourceful. Just like asking for what you want conveys confidence and tenacity. Here, let me show you. Please take a beat to rate and review Casually Baked the Podcast if you're inspired to help other can of curious folks like Amber here find this highly responsible cannabis content. Amber emailed me last week. I have recently discovered your podcast. I'm interested in learning how to come out in my community in an educated, mindful way. I have been a cannabis consumer for over 17 years. I've had successful careers in multiple states, and I'm a mother of four children. 
I get complimented on how great they are all the time. I really contribute it to the consumption of cannabis. You and your guests really speak to my soul. Thank you, Amber. You are so welcome, Amber. And thank you for doing your part to keep the smoke circle going. Puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one talk at a time.